people are really critical sometimes, especially in our field. Um, you get a lot of different personalities who either don't believe in what you're doing, or I almost feel like they wish they would have come up with it themselves. And so they were looking for any way to kind of bash it. But I was able to turn those experiences into a more positive light. Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast, where I'm here to share stories, lessons, and experiences in sports performance and professional development. Today, I'm joined by Alexa Lovato. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Always a good day when I can record a podcast, catch up with friends. And this is a 2.0 episode. So Alexa is an OG. She was on episode 21, which I just looked. That was recorded September 25, 2019. And just for context, it's January 17, 2021. So we made it through 2020, and here we are now. So not to go into the whole backstory, but I got my master's with Alexa. Go Frogs. She was a year older. Uh, we always had awesome chats about kind of sports science. I was doing beach volleyball. She was doing soccer. And then she went off to do pro sports science and then kind of in a businessy startup. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed kind of staying up to date ever since. And I figured, why not? Let's talk business. Let's talk sports science, kind of putting it all together. So we'll start from the beginning, just your, your journey over the last, was it 20 months or so at a sports science startup? Yep. Uh, so right after grad school, I got involved with um, FC Dallas. And then from FC Dallas, I hooked up with a few people who were looking to start a new company. Um, and I joined them right out the bat. Uh, so I was actually at TSD under um, another individual. So I was kind of his um, second or right-hand man. Um, but then he uh, took another opportunity doing a little bit more coaching and applied um, athletic training. And so then I stayed at TSD and took over the director role. Uh, so I was at TSD about 20 months. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, I have since left the company, but it was a great experience. And um, I really th got to thrive as an individual. Um, got to learn a lot. I got to connect and, and learn a lot more about business and um, marketing and um, how to create a product and identify a problem or an area that we can help improve. Um, and so that's what I did. Yeah. So kind of a broad overview. <laughs> so, so let's get into kind of the planning stages or kind of like the beginning, you have to understand the why, who's your target audience, kind of this like application context in mind. So do you kind of take us through like, like what you wanted the direction of the company to be, how that influenced what technology you bought, and then consequently your research and kind of just um, when it got to actually applying the stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I joined TSD when we didn't even have a logo. Uh, we had a name. Uh, they had one logo, but it had since kind of evolved. So um, I like to kind of say that it didn't have a logo. <laughs> it was a blue box. So so we evolved a little bit <laughs> to like this hurricane. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, there was this idea of we wanted to collect baseline physiological and physical health in athletes. Um, some of the background kind of came from um, my CEO, his experience in the medical field, um, not having a lot of great sort of baseline data on healthy individuals. And so we thought, well, this is a great idea. What if we look into what it looks like for a professional athlete? And so that was like my forte. It was kind of my dream job, right? Uh, blank slate, white piece of paper. Um, he said, this is a kind of the idea. What do you think? What are your experiences? What did you learn in school? How can you apply it? Um, and so it was, it was great. Um, so again, when I joined TSC, I was under somebody else. And so it was great to have that sort of um, critical thinking, 
um, that person right next to you to say like, are you sure this is what we should do? Uh, what if we do it this way instead? What are the pros and cons of each way? And so to be able to talk it out and really kind of begin the process that way, um, I don't think that the protocols would have developed as they did without that. So I'm very, very grateful. Um, so we, um, the other individual myself kind of identified a few pieces of technology that we liked, um, but before we could acquire any of those technologies, he left the company. So it was kind of up to me to, to decide, um, is this exactly what we wanna do? Is this the best for the industry or for our um, product development? Is this what our customers need and is it useful in everyday life? And so, um, yeah, it kind of all fell on my shoulders, which was great, but I mean, it, I definitely had to have a learning experience on how to uh, kind of carry that weight. Um, so it was great, I really enjoyed it. Perfect. That leads me to my next question. So when this individual left and it was like, Hey, you, you got to tell us, you know, as the director of sports science, you got to tell us what to buy. You're going to like run it all. So like, how does one go about that process when it's like, we have this end goal right. and we know what we want to do with theoretical technology to like idea to purchase, to like making those protocols. Like what right. was that like? So when I joined TSD, I joined in right before graduation. So closer to April or May. Um, and so then I transitioned there full time after graduation. Um, but I uh, was accompanied by the individual for about three months, four months. Um, so it was um, not even October <laughs> when he left. Uh, so it was kind of like getting me trained up and then he kind of threw over the reins to me. Um, and so we didn't actually start utilizing the product and the protocols and have all the technology until, gosh, the beginning of the pandemic, uh, which was like terrible timing, right? Because all this technology is so expensive and they all have, you know, year long contracts or um, three year long contracts. And so it was really important for us to hit the market really hard, really fast, uh, just because we had to put so much money down if we're talking more of like the business numbers, right? Um, so we wanted to get to market and get to um, have this flow of income um, as fast as possible. So um, I guess it's about March uh, and we got almost all of our equipment in and um, <laughs> yeah, pandemic hit and I couldn't touch anybody, <laughs> you know, I couldn't invite anybody into our facility. So that was, that was kind of tough, um, but it gave us a lot of time internally to me, I guess, essentially <laughs> figure out that, you know, what exactly what I was, I was I doing? How do I market to my audience? Um, what are the things I haven't thought of yet? Um, let's bring in some sort of like test dummies. Let me just test the people in my office so I can kind of find those um, places where I was going to get hung up, you know? So was it technology development? Was it our, our platform and our data aggregation system? Um, was it my protocols? Were they useful or <laughs> were they a little bit too in-depth? Because that was kind of what I wanted to do was this holistic approach to athlete health. Um, but do I really need to test trap activation and, you know, a soccer player? Um, so it, was, it really allowed me to dive into the research, really make sure that what I had put together was going to work, uh, test it out a little bit, make a few adjustments before we really came to market. Um, it also gave us some time to remodel the office, which was probably one of the best things we ever decided to do um, because we just got comfortable in our space and it was a lot more of this like cookie cutter office building. Uh, but when we had some time where we were looking to fill, 
and we decided to rip up the carpet and put down some really nice floor. So I was going to help improve my accuracy on the force plates. Um, it was going to help, you know, keep everything clean, especially now during the pandemic. Can I use, you know, all these disinfectants and not, you know, <laughs> sort of ruin the carpet? Uh, so that was a great idea. Um, we got to paint and put up our, our slogan and uh, it really, it really was a great, great <laughs> experience, I think for all of us, kind of like a team building experience we didn't really expect. Um, and so, yeah, so again, acquiring all this technology, it really kind of fell on my shoulders to almost be an expert in every single one. So it was, it was great because I learned a lot, um, but it really helped with my communication skills with a lot of our vendors. So that was kind of a skill that I picked up I didn't even know I needed. Um, and so if I came to you and I, and I got this new podcast system, right. And I was like, this is so cool. It's the best in the industry. You know, all the cool kids are using it. Like, can you just give me the ins and outs of it really quickly? And then it kind of fell on my shoulders to not only do that one, to reach out and ask for help, but then to document our conversations and then to be really good about implementing it and reaching back out when I ran into some issues. And so we had six different pieces of equipment that I was having to navigate those relationships um, keep a really good documentation of what our meeting was, what uh, we need to do in the future, and then to keep track to make sure that they were doing the things that I had asked or that I was doing the things that they had asked me to do. Yeah, so that was kind of how we navigated <laughs> six different pieces of equipment. Uh, it was wild. So I had to stay really organized. Perfect. And it's funny that you kind of mentioned all that stuff because I just released a YouTube video. One of my five minute sports sciences was just like learning new technology. You know, and just as much as you get better at learning a specific piece of technology, you get better at learning how to learn new technology, you know, and I've done it a ton, yeah. mainly from TCU with Polar and Team Builder and just Excel and all that kind of stuff. And now where I'm currently at, we got the Nord board and stuff like that and having all these phone calls. And then you have to like, like as the sports science coordinator where I currently am like, Hey, we have this Nord board and like you got to figure it out and teach all of us. And it's like, I'm supposed to teach you. Like I got to teach myself first, but so it's something that <laughs> yeah. is super intimidating at first. And like, I can only imagine what the magnitude of your technology. And uh, next I, I want to go through briefly, just like what they were to help give some context. But I remember when, when you would come to TCU and then you'd like set up all your stuff and you'd zap us and whatnot. But I think that there's so much value in like going and experimenting and doing yourself. Like when we got the 1080 sprint, it's this $20,000 piece of technology. It can resist you, assist you. It spits out speed, time, force, and power at 330 hertz. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I ever? And it's just this one iPad. I'm like, how am I ever going to do this? You know? And then I literally just did like three like sprint workouts, you know, I guess yeah. if I call it a workout and I was like, oh, pff, like this isn't too bad, you know? So I didn't think that there's so much value in just like you hop on it yourself you know, it's going to be awkward, you know, you're going to miss some stuff. But what's nice about the pandemic, you know, and some people are in less fortunate situations, but being able to like really take a step back, and whether it's kind of forced by COVID, or just in general, taking a step back. And like, if you're in it every day with that technology talking with the same people, you know, there's some things that you would miss. Um, so I think that it's super important in this, like, kind of, it can be kind of dogmatic going through this process and you have technology and then you have results, methods, applications, and like all this kind of stuff to just be like, well, where would this get hung up or what could I do better? Or like, 
I should have this one phone call. And then I heard this one thing from this one person, I'm going to mess around with me. And then if, if I like it, then I'll mess around with my coworker. And then, you know, it's kind of just a snowball effect. You just get better at learning new technology. But, um, so yeah, it was always cool that you just like zap me, but, <laughs> uh, so the six pieces of technology, just very briefly, not to get too much in the weeds, but kind of just to help the listener just paint a picture in their head of like this crazy technology you were working with. Sure. Uh, so we called it a lane. So essentially, if it's kind of just like this, this process of bouncing from one technology to the next, um, it had a really nice flow by the end of it. But we would start the athletes um, in what we called our passive assessment so that just means that, like you said, I had to do all the work. I had to zap the athlete. I had to put them in the right position. I had to, you know, stimulate the muscle and, and find, uh, make sure that I was in the right place to get the best muscular contraction. Um, so it really took a lot of effort on my part um, in those first four pieces of equipment. Um, and that's what made TSD so unique was um, I built those protocols, you know, specifically to be passive because of the experience I had working with athletes and they didn't really know how the data was gonna be used. And so I wanted to make sure that the data I was collecting was reliable and accurate without having to rely on somebody else to give their maximal effort. Um, so the first four pieces of equipment, we started with an anthropometrics machine. Um, so basically what that is, is body proportions. And so we were looking at limb length, limb circumference. We had a height and a weight and a body fat percentage. Um, it was a really cool piece of machinery that we had kind of adapted from um, the more custom garment industry. And then we made it more medical. So it was really pretty cool. Uh, we were one of their first like medical clients, which was really fun. And, and again, kind of like the startup, right? Uh, for them, they were like so used to this like cookie cutter one lane sort of client. Then when we, we came over around, like they needed to kind of sure some things up for me because I really needed to make sure that uh, we had some discrepancies in the arm length on the left side and they were pretty consistent they were like got worse the taller the athlete um, and so one to have identified that very quickly was you know I kind of like did one of these which I was like crap you know <laughs> stinks that we're having this air but like let's find it let's communicate on how to fix it um, but that was also a challenge too was having to rely on somebody else to fix it you know, cause it was, this is my baby. And I was able to have such a hand in every single piece of equipment then to rely on somebody else to have to do that. Um, that took a little bit of time and trust and patience. <laughs> um, but that was our first one. So anthropometrics, and then we did passive muscle function. So we used a technology called tensiomyography. Um, it was fantastic. So again, holistic, we did upper body, lower body, uh, no matter what the athlete was, uh, again, passive to the athlete. And then we did range of motion, again, passively, um, mostly with our identifying the balance between uh, flexibility and mobility and stability, um, and then having this baseline information so that if the athlete ever did get injured, uh, we would have the healthy control on the same side as the injury instead of having to rely on the contralateral side um, if an injury occurs. And again, we use the same technology that a normal PT would use. We just use a goniometer that way it would translate really well uh, to what they were collecting in PT. Um, and then the last passive assessment was ultrasound. Uh, that was really my baby. Um, you know, all the other technologies they had, um, you know, these are the muscles you can test. Um, but everybody kind of just 
picked the thigh when the thigh was injured or picked the hamstring when the hamstring was injured, but they did never do a baseline. And so again, that's what TSD specialized in was we want you when you're healthy and we want to collect almost more data than you would expect just in case this one crazy thing happens, right? <laughs> so I always use the example of, uh, we had a soccer player at FC Dallas, Terrace Peck, and it was like, okay, you're a soccer player and you tore your pec in the weight room. And, you know, we had no baseline data. It was all like lower body, right? Cause you don't really use your upper body in soccer, uh, especially in like a defender. So um, again, that was kind of why we built the protocols the way we did. And then, um, yeah, ultrasound, that was probably the most challenging in terms of learning and picking it up. It took the most reading uh, because a lot of people well, kind of have to be certified sonographer to take really good images. Um, but what really kind of set me back was I looked into becoming a sonographer. Um, I had a lot of the prereqs again, just because of, you know, what we graduated with, with an undergrad and then a master's. Um, but it was literally everything besides MSK. It was like, let's look at what babies need to look like. Um, let's look at the liver. And this is what happens when you do have to look at an ACL or not an ACL, but like um, an MCL or a uh, patellar tendon or an Achilles. Like this is what you look at. But again, <laughs> like being in the sonography field and learning more about it, it's like, okay, when you go to the doctor and they are like, okay, you need to get an ultrasound image. So they send you to a sonographer and the sonographer asks you, okay, it's on your left side, where does it hurt? And essentially they just look at that one place. And so that again, just goes against everything that we believed in. So we put together, or I put together this really cool protocol um, using four different images on one ultrasound machine. And again, it was, it was contralateral, we used both sides or bilateral, we used both sides. Um, and then we also did, I mean, everything from an elbow for like a pitcher. I had specific protocols for a pitcher. Um, we did a really thorough Achilles assessment, which proved to be um, very, very useful and important, especially in our NFL guys. Um, and then we had a thorough knee and shoulder assessment as well. So those were our four passive. And then the active side was some more traditional performance testing. Uh, we used a force plate and then we used a stationary dynamometer system. So looking at how the athlete was moving and jumping in space, um, some inherent balance tests, and then an upper body plank test. And then the dynamometer system allowed us to look at, the, again, those sort of isometric maximal contractions. Uh, so again, we did shoulders, knees, hips, neck. I could do everything from like fingers. It was really cool. <laughs> So yeah, this thorough assessment of physical health. And my favorite part about kind of that whole story, talking about like the holistic approach is if you have your why, like you understand the purpose of doing it all and combining your experience plus the other investors and the other employees and the people above you is like, like what has been missing in sports science and like how can we be different and kind of put it all together? Mm -hmm. And as you were listing kind of a little bit more of the X's and O's, which I asked, it all kind of makes sense with this like context of, well, we know what injured stuff looks like, but like what does non-injured stuff look like and what does it look, look like specific to that person? Right. So, so kind of when it comes time to, do I get my stenographer? Is that the technical? Yeah. <laughs> to get my stenographer search <laughs> or to dive down this rabbit hole of X, Y, Z. Well, it's like, will it help me in, um, in this like end goal? 
you know, yeah. and like a, a stenographer cert, you know, uh, baby something a little bit more traditional like PT and then an MSK, I'm assuming that's musculoskeletal something. Mm -hmm. um, then you can like, you're consuming this like, you know, baby ultrasound content, but you're understanding how to like change it and the truth behind it, even though it's not specific, you know? So I think it's super important to, to take a step back and be like, why am I consuming this? What's my end goal? And then consequently, like what questions can I make after, you know, or do I have, and then who can I go ask about it? Um, so I think that that was a super cool kind of overview tying it all together. And then next, a point that I, I want to touch on because you made this all yourself and it's super tough to get, or it's super easy to get stuck in this. Oh, it has to be peer reviewed and it has to be official and important. And I have to have all these letters. And one thing I believe, cause maybe I'm a little bit more of like a rebel, like what's the point application, not super technical official mm -hmm. is like, if it makes sense, if, if it's consistent, if it applies to you and like, you can justify it and you have as much information as there is out there, then like do it you know, whatever study it is that says like it takes 17 years for like research to actually be applied. Well, it looks like you wouldn't be doing your job for another 17 years, you know? So if you could kind of talk on navigating this fine line between like, yes, it has to be official and proven, but also it's like, I can't wait that long. So kind of when you were consuming this research, plus you had to answer to athletes, plus the people above you, plus like all this kind of stuff, kind of navigating that fine line. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, when you talk about it being like justified, you know, I think that's a really good point. Um, I got questioned from a lot of different people. And again, it, it was cool. Again, with the startup, you have to wear a lot of hats. Um, and so there'd be one day where I'm testing a 13 year old. Right. And so they don't really know. I try to teach them about like how they have, do you know why it's called a quad? And they're like, I don't know, you know, because I was like, there's four muscles. I was like, I'll teach you each one. And like, they literally don't care. Right. But I feel like I'm trying to do my part and to like improve these athletes health by um, teaching them about their body. Right. And like half of them care, like most of them actually don't. <laughs> like, uh, but that was just kind of funny how you have to like justify it. But again, wearing lots of hats, um, you know, go from a 13 year old to um, talking to my CEO, who again was kind of in the weeds with me, um, to one of our, our partners who um, uh, is an ortho guy. And, you know, he would ask me some really great, great questions, or I would ask him some questions about what he's seeing, you know, in the OR about, you know, when you talk to these athletes, what do you normally see? Like if, he specifically was um, a shoulder elbow guy for the MLB. And so I said, you know, do you notice anything else? Any other kind of like weird correlations uh, with your athletes? And it could be that they were vegetarian or that they had flat feet, but it was always great to have that sort of insight from somebody who wasn't as bogged down and everything and all the data that I had. Um, and so then I would go to talking to a professional athlete. And so um, I got a lot of like different um, views of what we were doing and almost like contexts and what people liked and what didn't, what they didn't like. And so instead of me relying on like an employee who sits next to me every day about asking me those questions, I really had to kind of find that within my sort of subject population and the people that I was exposed to. Um, but allowing those conversations, conversations to help me justify why I was doing what I did um, was sort of a pivotal point for me. 
because they teach you in grad school, you know, like nothing's really true unless it's proven kind of thing. Um, and then it's not really even true. We just say that it, it's mostly true, you know, <laughs> like that was super hard. And so I literally in my desk, um, I had two file folders and the top file folder, I, I got really organized by the end, right? I had every single one of our tests. So anthropometrics, um, passive muscle function, joint range of motion, ultrasound, and then so on. And they all had, you know, multiple tabs with different research in it. And so, you know, specifically the ultrasound one, um, that was insane to try to build. And I truly fell in love with the process by, by the end of the protocol building process, just because, um, you know, it takes 17 years for somebody in a lab to tell you you should do it. And then for somebody to apply it in real life, like I got to do that. I got to say this one person in Australia, you know, found this cool way to measure elasticity in tendons and they did it on um, 12 tendons in the lab, which is bonkers, right? Because I was testing 12 athletes a week, essentially. And so that's 24 Achilles. Like I was doing as many as they published in their research, which was just like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but I was allowing or applying their protocols in the lab. And so it was, again, staying really organized, um, not only in the research, but then in my protocol document about, you know, if somebody questions me on why I take a measurement the way I did, I had justifiable reasons, you know, right here that they could read, uh, but also practical application, whether it be from this just worked better for me in terms of the process on the ultrasound. Um, this was more comfortable for the athlete, but still follows the protocols, um, you know, justified or proven in research. And then this is something that we also realized that we should be looking out for uh, from our ortho guy. And so again, just being able to justify it, I think, again, I, I like using the word that you used because as long as I had a good answer for why I was doing what I did, um, it made people, I think, trust me a little bit more, like I had thought it through, even though it wasn't, you know, published and other people were doing it. You know, we're kind of pushing the envelope in sports science on this athlete monitoring and health. Um, and we've thought through all of these sort of critical questions. Um, so yeah. I hope that made sense. Yeah. Like a big yeah. round way. <laughs> and you kind of speaking through the three kind of justifications you had. And there's one that's like the technical, like I would assume that there's some research, hopefully on something you're doing, you know, but I, I would always say like, is someone going to tell me how to use fusion smart speed timers with a group of nine to 14 year olds out at a grass field? Yeah. That's like not a thing. So I just have to go and do and figure it out, you know, yeah. but uh, the, the second one is like, I've just been there and done that. And this is what I found has worked and hasn't worked. And I've had conversations with those athletes. And I think that that's probably the most important one where it's like, well, what's the point of even having justifications in, in the first place? And that's to help you do your job mm -hmm. at TSD with your athletes, with your technology, with your specific end goal, you know? So like of the three, I, I would say that that's the most important, but then also is these like outside conversations of these experts you know to help you kind of get to think outside the box and if someone just spits out like research study after study after study it's like okay but like what did what did you do you know so it's like it's this fine line between people want the research but like if you have all of it then they're like well anyone can go and find those you know so it sounds like if you have those three things the technical the official the mm -hmm. anecdotal plus just like the conversations whether it's the 
people that are the world experts or the people of that company. I think that that's not bulletproof, but that's a pretty good place to start. And like you said, having those conversations with the variety of, of stakeholders, I'll use a technical term, the athletes, the CEOs, whatever, then they just start to believe you more. But if you're thorough and you, you have all these different ways to help kind of create these justifications and protocols, I think that that's an awesome process. And the next question. So I'm excited for this one. <laughs> you have your magic wand and you can zap me and the listener one of those six technologies Ooh. just magically. If you could zap all of us one of the six, what would it be and why? Hmm. You have to wave the wand when you answer. I know. It's kind of a trick question. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. That's really hard. It's hard because um, I guess the protocols are so interconnected and correlated with one another. It's hard to have one and not the other. So two of I six. Guess. Does that help? <laughs> Two of the six, does that help? Two of the six, gosh. Um, I guess the ones that really were cool for me, I, okay, we'll start with the one because I can make up my mind. <laughs> um, ultrasound, like I have just totally fallen, fallen in love with ultrasound. Um, I mean, it has its downfalls and it has its challenges because everything's black and gray. And honestly, the LCL for me is like so hard to find. Like. I spend so much time trying to find an athlete's LCL. They're like, are we done yet? I'm like, can you wait like one more minute? I'm like <laughs> trying to make sure I'm measuring the right thing. I don't know why I like always get hung up on that one. And I know what to look for in terms of like bony landmarks, but I don't know if it's just like this little skinny thing that I just overlook all the time, but man, that really hangs me up. Um, but I just love the potential for ultrasound and I feel like it's the most underutilized piece of equipment that we have in the medical system. Um, people go in for an MRI all the time and it's great. Um, but you know, a lot of time they might not find anything and they've just exposed themselves to radiation. It's really expensive. Um, usually you can only have so many a year. So if you use it up on, you know, this sort of <laughs> fluke accident that you don't really find anything, um, you know, they don't like to prescribe a lot of MRIs throughout the year because of the obvious reasons. Um, uh, but then ultrasound, I mean, <laughs> it's relatively low cost compared to other imaging systems. Um, the reliability and validity of the images that we see dependent on the sonographer again. Um, but like high class, right? Gold standard. <laughs> um, and then it's, yeah, it's just so underutilized. I feel like we have so much yet to learn about healthy structures. And that's, that was kind of my passion again, was to identify a good way to track change in healthy structures. Um, is it just tendon diameter or um, AP length of the Achilles tendon? Like, no, like, let's look at all the structures. Um, let's look at all the surrounding tissue. Uh, let's take all these specific measurements, again, that are accurate and reliable and reproducible so that I can do it over a long term. Um, and so it just worked really well. <laughs> um, even though it was kind of a longer process within the protocol as a whole, uh, especially when I got tripped up on the L uh, LCL. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, I just love it. I think it's so cool. So cool. <laughs> so there LCLs, we go. LCLs are a placebo. They're fake. <laughs> They're fake. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
They're definitely not vague, but they're really hard to find. <laughs> really hard I, to measure. I love saying that like <laughs> things are a placebo just because maybe it's, it's like my nerdy <laughs> mind. But like if anyone's kind of just like going down a little tangent or rabbit hole, I'll just like say it's a placebo. And like how awesome is it that like someone has that science <laughs> mindset that like they think that, that that's funny. Um, so I think yeah. science <laughs> jokes are definitely my favorite. Um, but LCLs, placebo, wave the wand. Yeah. But so... <laughs> What would you combine of the other five with the uh, ultrasound? Or would you change your answer because it's a combo now? Yeah, if I had to choose two of the other ones to combine, it would probably be the passive and the active muscle function. Because um, again, I think that's so underutilized. And the zapper? Um, yes. So tensiomography and then just a dynamometer, stationary dynamometer system. Could you could you describe tensiomography for the, cause I know what it feels like, but like for the, yeah. for the listener. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so it uses a tens unit. So for those people who have been to PT probably know what it, what a tens unit is. Um, but it's just electrical stimulation, um, via this like little box, the little tens unit. And so it allows your muscles to activate without the neural control. Um, and so what happens, this is kind of the process of TMG, I identify the muscle belly, so dependent on anatomical structures. So the bicep is always the easiest one. Um, so up at the shoulder, um, down towards the elbow, and then uh, you measure a certain distance between. And then that's where I place my displacement. It's about three quarters of the way towards the elbow if we're talking pretty general. <laughs> um, and so from there, I can place a little two sticky electrodes around the displacement sensor. Um, and then again, it's up to me to stimulate the muscle via the machine. Um, so what basically happens is, you know, you start down about 20 millivolts and then you work up about 15 to 20 millivolts each sort of rep. Um, and then on the screen, I'm watching the muscular contraction uh, so the displacement sensor sitting on the muscle belly itself is actually measuring the time it takes for the muscle to be stimulated. Um, it'll measure how long it takes for the muscle to relax after it's been stimulated. Um, it measures how much of a displacement we get from the actual muscle belly itself. Um, and then once I get two waves that look exactly the same, I'm no, I know I'm at max. Uh, so for me, I think I was about, you know, 60, 65 millivolts on my bicep. And then for a lot of our bigger guys, I mean, I was getting up 70, 75, 80, which is, which is a lot higher, but dependent on muscle mass, lean mass, um, or fat mass as well, kind of dependent on how much stimulation they actually needed. Less concerned about how much the stimulation was and more about just the curve itself. Um, and so I like to pair that the passive muscle function, so taking the human element out of, you know, what is, how is your muscle functioning, and then pairing it with how does it function when you tell it to function, I thought that was really cool, um, and something that not a lot of people had done, especially in the research, <laughs> um, and so that's why we named it what we did, passive muscle function, and then active mu muscle function as well, um, and so I think those are a really cool pairing, and have a lot of opportunity to kind of say, or identify, what's lacking within the individual. Um, and so we saw a lot of really cool correlations. Um, and then it allows us to identify um, tightness within the muscles, not only function, but um, also how the muscle was moving essentially uh, through its range of motion. So kind of cool. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And then last kind of question, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. So 
I always like bringing stuff full circle and I've changed how I do my podcast since you'll be episode, I think 89, what was that? 60 episodes, 67, eight episodes ago. So I've kind of changed it, but I really enjoy the theoretical, you know, not the X's and O's because like, I think that's kind of overhyped. It's important, but you know, like these stories and experiences are like, that's the coolest stuff of all of this, you know, but I do like bringing it full circle into like, well, at the end of the day, we're all here to become better practitioners, right? So how do your stories and experiences help us become better practitioners? So if there was like kind of one or two things in your sports science startup experience over these last 20 months that can help me and let's say a little bit more, I mean, traditional is relative because I don't have a very traditional job, but <laughs> in this sports science context to let's say a college or a pro or a private company, someone that like handles technology. So whether it's like a mindset or like a tip or just like one or two things that the listener can do um, this next week when they're like messing around with kind of all of their data from this like startup experience? Sure. Uh, that's kind of a hard question. I feel like there's so many things because the two things that came to mind were um, the ability to adapt. I think that was like really important, especially in the startup realm. Um, not only in the sense of the science, um, but also kind of my audience as well. Um, I had to, again, wear a lot of hats and be a lot of different, um, so not necessarily people, but have a different perspective depending on who I was looking at. Um, and so that was really important. Um, but then also too, like, I think we kind of hit on it where, um, people are really critical sometimes, especially in our field. Um, you get a lot of different personalities who either don't believe in what you're doing um, or I almost feel like they wish they would have come up with it themselves. And so they were looking for any way to kind of bash it. Um, but I was able to turn those experiences um, into a more positive light. So although people were being critical and saying, well, why did you do it this way? It's too long you have to wait too long to collect so much data because otherwise I don't believe it. We don't need it. We haven't, we've made it this far. Why do we need it now? You know, but it allowed me to kind of stand up for myself, not only in like a personal sense, but in a business sense where I say, okay, well, you know, we've identified this really great opportunity and athletes and a product that people really need. Um, and not every single person is going to fit into that box. Technically they can, you know, um, but whether they want to fit into that box, um, is totally fine. But again, it allowed me to kind of stand up for not only myself, but, but the product. Uh, so as much as you need to be able to adapt to your clientele or who you're talking to, or, um, be a little bit more flexible in the protocols and learning, right. You also on the flip side have to be very stern and believed in what you're doing. Um, otherwise people aren't going to either. So it's kind of this delicate balance and that's become very apparent in the startup world because <laughs> every day is so different. You know, every day is so different, so different. Yeah. yeah. So, so if, if you've done your research and, and not necessarily research, like, like peer reviewed stuff, but research in regards to looking through your own numbers, plus having all of those phone calls. And I've had plenty of those, but all those phone calls and like you have these like protocols and processes and justifications, as well as you understand who your end goal target audience, what, what the point is, 
you can be solid enough because you have that background and saying, this is what we do. Here's why we do it. But then also, you know, it well enough to where you can tweak it and where you probably shouldn't. And then it kind of like all goes together where it's like, if you know your stuff, you can kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. Not to like, like make that oversimplified, but, um, but I, I think over the course of, you know, 45 minutes or whatever this was kind of just going through beginning to middle to end on like, okay, well, here's our goal. Okay. Well, we have all this stuff, but that's not really like what people have done with this before. So like, how do we make it ours? But then how do we make it ours, but also for this other situation that's ours and kind of putting it all together. So I'll go back to something I said earlier, where it's, you get better at learning how to learn technology and it is intimidating. And I've done it so many times where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how am I ever going to like feel proficient? And then here I am like making YouTube videos about how to like, you know, learn this stuff. So it's it's definitely, definitely a process. And like, you just got to go and do and get your hands on and then just like know why you're doing it and then talk it through and write it down. And, um, and yeah, so thank you for sharing. Is there anything else? I'm opening the floor up to you. Uh, you can, finish up whatever you want to say you can plug whatever you, you want to plug what's yours <laughs> no no this has been great um been a pleasure to talk with you again yeah we've kind of come a long way since last time we spoke so i look forward to doing it again soon <laughs> maybe maybe a, a 3.0 so i'm gonna say thank you very much and hopefully we'll talk soon sounds good take care